We are finishing a series today. Our series is titled, Unimpressed, Seven Reasons Our Friends Aren't Becoming Christians. And the cat embodies the spirit of this whole series. This is the way our friends look when we try to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And why? Well, it's because, as Tim Keller says, uh, there are some beliefs that are circulating in society that many of our friends have bought into that is inoculating them from the good news of the gospel. Uh, defeater belief is a belief that if it's true, then the gospel can't be true. And so we've been looking at seven of these defeater beliefs. Why? So that we can be good friends. We can be good conversationalists. We can understand what our friends are thinking, and we can uh, engage with them around these beliefs and hopefully weaken their uh, commitment to the belief so that their hearts will open up to the good news of God's love for them in Jesus Christ. The seven defeater beliefs that we've looked at in this series are, number one, Christians are hypocrites. Number two, there cannot be only one way to God. Number three, people must have the freedom to define themselves. Four, arguing that someone's beliefs Whoops, nope, that's today. Uh, number four, people should be free to live as they see fit as long as they don't harm anyone. Five, the Bible's just another religious text written by humans. Six, if there is a God, he's loving and couldn't possibly send people to hell. And then today we're looking at arguing that someone's religious beliefs are wrong diminishes them. Now, before we jump into today's defeater belief, I want to uh, let you know that we're going to start a new series next week on the book of 2 Peter. And so we're going to get back to walking through the, the text. Uh, the, this series has been a little bit more uh, topical and, in, in some sense, philosophical. So James and I are excited to get back to uh, walking through the Bible. So 2 Peter starts next week, and our... It is uh, sure-footed is the, the title for this series, sure-footed. If you do these things, then you will not stumble, says Peter. All right, so today's defeater belief. Arguing that someone's religious beliefs are wrong diminishes them. What is, what is meant by that? What is meant is that I am what I believe religiously, and to attack my beliefs is to attack me. And this is rooted in a, an idea that religious belief is a, is a matter of preference, not a matter of truth. And so I believe what I believe religiously, either it's because I grew up that way, right? So to be a Hindu... That's part of my culture. To be a Muslim is, is part of my cultural identity. To be agnostic is part of my cultural identity. To be a Christian is part of my cultural identity. So to challenge my religious beliefs, to argue that they're wrong, is to actually to attack my culture, to attack me. Or I've chosen this religious belief because I like it, and it's the way I want the world to be, and... So either way, you, when you say, you know, if you argue that my religious belief is wrong, you're, you're saying that something's wrong about me. You're attacking me, and that's ugly. And so we've got to understand that for a lot of our friends, religious belief is, in their minds, a, a matter of preference, not a matter of truth. 
So the analogy, let me give you an analogy. So a couple of popular sports in the U.S., football, baseball, and uh, some people prefer one over the other. So imagine that I'm a football fan, and I tell you football's the best sport. And you would say, fine, uh, that's your opinion. I like baseball, but you feel free to you know, believe that football's fine. You wouldn't be offended. And if I opened up my uh, checkbook and I began to underwrite football in Anchorage, and I, I bought land in order to dedicate it to football, and I underwrote youth uh, football, and I volunteered as a football coach, you wouldn't have a problem with that. That's your prerogative. You want to market and promote football, go ahead. But if I came to you and started saying, you need to be more in favor of football than baseball, you need to be a football fan, you shouldn't be a baseball fan, now you're getting a little, what is wrong with you, right? This is a matter of preference, and you're starting to push your preference for football on me, that's inappropriate. And what if I went down to uh, the, the chamber, the assembly, and I started saying, I don't want any land in Anchorage allocated for baseball fields. It all has to be allocated for football fields. And I'm aggressive about it, and I'm creating you know, uh, political campaigns around it. Now you'd get mad at me, right? Uh, it's one thing to, you know, to promote football and like football, but to try to limit my access to baseball and to, to, to be um, limiting baseball, that's, what's wrong with you? You know, you're, you're pushy, you're arrogant, you're being ugly, that's inappropriate. Why? And we would all agree with that, I would hope. Uh, and that's because it's a matter of preference. We understand that this is, the, this is taste, likes and dislikes. And so in matters of preference, it's inappropriate to push your preference onto other people. Uh, we feel like people do violence to us uh, when they do that. What we have to understand is that for a lot of our friends, religious belief in their minds is in the realm of preference, not in the realm of truth. And therefore, when they hear us as Christians say, Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, no man comes to the Father except through him, when we say you must repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ or God will hold you accountable someday... For your unbelief, when we say that the, that the gospel is a command to be obeyed, not just an offer to be accepted if you can't handle life on your own, we're stepping on people's toes. And for, for, for our friends who view religious belief as a thing of preference, not of truth, that seems ugly to them. It feels like, why would we be pushing Christianity on them? Well, we must be an arrogant, you know, um, ugly person. And they don't want to have anything to do with that. So when a modern person hears us say, I believe Christianity is true, what they hear us say is, I have this prejudice. And we have to understand what's going on in their minds. But, but here's the reality. The reality is the gospel is a truth to be obeyed, not a preference to be selected, when we can't handle life on our own. In Romans chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we read this. Because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself 
on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and, underline this, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Do not obey the truth. Religious belief, the gospel, is, is a truth to be obeyed. And there are consequences. That's what the Bible says. That's the reality. But Satan is trying to confuse us. And so the idea that religious belief is a matter of preference, not a matter of truth, it's a ruse of Satan to keep Christians from proclaiming the gospel and to keep people from believing the gospel. So as Christians, if we buy into this, this idea that is very prevalent, it is, it is the spirit of the age, we're encountering it all the time, and unless we counter it in our own mind and heart, we're going to swallow it. Well, as a Christian, if I believe that religious belief is just a matter of preference, I will, I will only say to my friend, Jesus works for me, right? I like being a Christian. Jesus works for me. My life's better as a Christian. And we might say, and you know what? If you can't handle life on your own, I recommend Jesus to you. It might work for, he might work for you too. And our friends are not offended. But we'll stop there, and we won't go that extra step to say, God, the one who created you, commands you to repent of your sins and put your faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And to fall short of that means that you have left on the table God's only way to be saved from the coming wrath. Right? Secondly, if our friends believe that uh, the gospel is something they can pick up if they need it, but otherwise, you know, just leave it on the table. Well, how long do we have to wait until our friends recognize they need Jesus Christ? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, we're told that for many, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. And so many people don't ever get to that place where they say, I need Jesus. I can't handle life on my own. I'm a sinner. I need to repent and become a Christian. And so as long as they think it's just an option, it's a crutch that you pick up when you can't you know, walk alone, if that's what they think, many, many of our friends will go, go to the grave without ever getting there. And so the question we want our friends to be asking is not, do I wish the gospel were true, but is the gospel true? We want to help them recognize this. This isn't a, a preference question. It's a truth question. And the stakes are, are quite significant. So uh, during this series, we've been trying to give talking points that you can use with your friends to hopefully loosen their commitment to the defeater belief and thus open their hearts to the gospel. So I've got some talking points, um, and you might want to, these might help you as you talk with your friend. And the first talking point is this, consequential beliefs warrant debate. So now we talked about the football 
and baseball illustration, but now let's talk about vaccination. Why does our society allows a lot more debate around the question of whether or not people should be vaccinated? In fact, in Alaska, we have a no shots, no school rule, and there is societal pressure. In fact, there's a law that insists you get your child vaccinated. There is an exception. You can fill out a religious exemption form, uh, and so people are um, protect. There is that loophole. There is that protection. But the point is that as a society, we allow for some pressure, right, some moral pressure, some debate around the question of whether or not vaccinations are good and right and best for society. And we, we tolerate a little bit more uh, debate around this and a little bit of challenging each other. And, and why? Because we recognize that this is a belief that has consequences. It is consequential. And, well, as Christians, we believe all religious belief is consequential because it's either drawing you closer to God or it's driving you farther away from God, and we believe it has eternal consequences. There's nothing more consequential to our lives than our religious beliefs and beliefs. And so you might point out to your friend, hey, listen, uh, there is a religious belief that says God wants me to impose Sharia law on the rest of the world, and I must insist, and I can use violence if necessary, I should use violence if necessary, to force the infidel to submit to uh, the teachings of Islam. That is a religious belief that millions of people buy into. That's a consequential belief. And I suspect our friends would grant, yeah, that belief ought to be debated. That belief ought to be challenged. And frankly, it shouldn't even be tolerated. So that's the first talking point is that, hey, consequential beliefs warrant debate. There's another talking point. This is more of a question. I would ask my friend this. Listen, truth exists in the physical realm, so why wouldn't it exist in the religious realm? Most of our friends would acknowledge that there is such a thing as truth in the physical realm. Two plus two equals four. Doesn't equal six, right? Water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit, and it melts at 32 degrees Fahrenheit, and, you know, everybody would say, yeah, that's true. Uh, and something otherwise is false. And what do they mean by that? They mean truth is correspondence to reality. It's true because it corresponds to reality, to the, the actual or the real physical world. And uh, if they tell you they don't believe that, start telling their kids, hey, it's okay to put your hand in a fire. You won't get hurt. Then they'll come unglued. Don't tell my kid that. Why? Because well, they know, right? You put your hand in the fire, you're going to get burned. So they'll, most of our friends will say, yeah, there is such a thing as truth, and truth is correspondence to reality in the physical realm. But then they do this, somehow they do this mental shift to where in the religious realm, there is no such thing as truth. It's all just preference. And I, I would push them on this. Why? Uh, you know, why do you make this switch? And so... Most likely what's happening is one of two things. Uh, number one, your friend might be convinced there's no God. 
And if there is no God, then any truth claim regarding how to know God is false. So when they say there's no religious truth, what they really mean is there is a truth, and the truth is there's no God, and thus no way to have a relationship with him. But they're nicer about it by saying there's no religious truth. Secondly, they might be agnostics, which means they say, they're thinking, okay, there might be religious truth, but we have no mechanism for uncovering the truth. In the physical realm, we've got math and science and the scientific method, and so we can, we can uncover truth. But in the religious realm, we don't have a mechanism for under, uncovering truth, and uh, therefore, we must all function as practical agnostics there is no religious truth, meaning there's no way to know if one religious truth claim is more valid than another. Now, as Christians, uh, I, what we believe is, yeah, we actually do have a mechanism for uncovering religious truth, namely the Bible. God has chosen to reveal to us spiritual truth that we would not otherwise know, but God, our creator, who wants a relationship with and cares about us, has taken the time to reveal such truth to us, and actually he holds us accountable. Uh, and so like the law, ignorance of the truth is not, <laughs> uh, is not an argument for breaking the law. So in the past, I'm going to give you another analogy, and this is the analogy of the umpire. Uh, so a long time ago, by the way, umpires, Clearwater 2 <laughs> narrowly defeated Clearwater 1, narrow, that's not a truth claim right there, uh, but the, the, uh, the umpire was very strict, this was a strict umpire. Well, in the past, an umpire would say, I call them as they are, Right? Regarding religious truth, uh, I, I have religious truth claims that line up with reality. Then in a, in a not so long ago, the umpire would say, I call them as I see them. Uh, acknowledging that there is some subjectivity, uh, some influence of our, our own uh, social location. But now we're in an area where the uh, an era in which the empire says they are what I call them, and that's the way they operate here in the church league. Those umpires are not always calling real strikes strikes. I've noticed that they are buying into this postmodern view of truth. So we have to we have to affirm. Don't give in to. Uh, this belief that religious or claim that religious beliefs are matters of preference and not matters of truth. No, we have to insist there is such a thing as religious truth, and it is correspondence to reality. We can know it because God loves us enough to have revealed it to us. Third talking point. Here's another question. I'd ask my friend this, what's more, what is more tolerant, insisting that everyone accept your premise that there's no such thing as religious truth, or granting people the freedom to disagree with you? Uh, tolerance is a big value in our society. It's always been a big value in American society, and it's a good value. But here's what you need to understand. 
the rationale for tolerance has changed. And it's a significant change. So, in the past, the reason we were tolerant is because we respected everyone's right to think for himself or herself. I can argue with you and I can say, I, my beliefs are correct and yours are wrong, but I'm still going to shop with you in the grocery store and uh, our, friends are gonna, our, our kids are going to play on the same teams and we can be in the same social clubs and we can be friends. We can uh, disagree and debate, but you have the right to believe what you want to believe and I honor that right. And I'm not going to do violence against you and try to squash that. The, the rationale for tolerance has changed. The rationale for tolerance is no longer I respect your right to think for yourself and disagree with me. It is now this. We all know that there's no such thing as religious truth. And therefore, every religious truth claim is equally valid, translation equally invalid. And as long as we all agree to that, then there's no reason to argue and there's no reason to fight over issues like values and religion and morality, right? But accepting both points of view as equally valid is not, in fact, more tolerant because there's one significant group left out, namely anyone who claims there is, in fact, such a thing as religious truth. Those people we must call bigots. We call them intolerant. We must silence them because they threaten our tolerant society, right? Do you see the difference? It's a significant difference, and it's a difference I think hopefully our fair-minded friends can recognize when pointed out to them. In fact, let me say this. When we give up truth in the realm of religion and in the realm of um, values, politics will always devolve into power politics. And that's where we're headed. That's where we're actually, I think, now a bit in. Because you, there, everyone gives up on the idea of being able to uh, reason together and come to an agreement on what is good for society and what is better and best and what is true versus false. We don't even believe that that's possible, so what do you do? You and your like-minded people grab as many votes as you possibly can, can, or in some places around the world, grab the guns, and you seize power, and then you make sure that society looks the way you want it to look. And that is, that is uh, what's at stake when we give up the idea of truth, uh, it, when we limit truth claims to purely the physical world. Fourth talking point, debate leads to better thinking, which leads to a healthier society. Tension produces growth in all areas of life. If I want bigger muscles, I need to stress my muscles. And uh, no tension, no challenge, no stress leads to flabbiness. Physical flabbiness, mental flabbiness, 
moral flabbiness, right? And we becoming a flabby society. There is this modern idea that no one should have to hear anything with which he disagrees. I shouldn't, I, I, I should never have to be offended. That's ridiculous, and that's not healthy. Because the ideas that I start with are not always 100% right. A fundamental Christian value is to open yourself up to being challenged and, in fact, being reproved, as the Bible says. Proverbs. Uh, I've been reading a proverb a day before I mess around with my phone. It's been good for my soul, so I've been going through Proverbs over the last number of months. And Proverbs is constantly saying, listen to counsel, be open to rebuke, You'll love the one who, you know, the wise person loves the one who challenges him. The fool is the one who shuts his ears. Our society is becoming foolish. Here's what David writes, Psalm 139, 23, 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way Everlasting. You know, for a long time, I thought that he was declaring his innocence before the Lord. Oh, Lord, look at me. Check me out. Nothing wrong with me. And then one day I realized, oh, that's not what he's doing at all. He's saying, God, I'm not aware of any problems in my life, but you know me better than I know myself. Come, search me, try me. And if there's anything wrong with me, please lead me in the way everlasting. I know I'm not perfect. I know I need to change. I know I need to grow. And so I open myself up to you, Spirit of God, to search me, and we open ourselves up to other godly people. As iron sharpen iron, so one man sharpens another. And we, we, we walk around with this sense of, I might have blind spots. And frankly, if you love me, you will point those out in a gentle way uh, and in a wise way so that I can become a better person. That's fundamental Christianity and our society is saying, no, 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 we should never challenge anybody. Uh, and it's leading to uh, a foolish society. Proverbs chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. By the way, Proverbs has uh, a lot of Proverbs, they're riddles, and it takes you time to you chew on them, and all of a sudden you're like, that's pretty interesting. That's brilliant. 18, Proverbs 18, 1. I had to ask James what this meant. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Hmm. Here's what James says that that means. It means the person who withdraws from challenge, withdraws from input, withdraws from being reproved, they do it because they want what they want. I want, a, I want to believe the narrative that I'm telling myself. And I don't want my narrative to be challenged because it has me in the right. And it justifies my behavior. And so I'm, I'm committed to my own desire, so I'm going to withdraw from people. I'm going to isolate myself so that I don't get challenged. And what does is, what is the Bible say? He breaks out against all sound judgment. That's dumb. That's foolish. That does not lead you to healthy places. Verse 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. 
So see what our society is saying? No one, should ever have, ever, no one should ever be offended. Nobody's religious beliefs should ever be challenged. Nobody's uh, behavior should ever be reproved. Just let people be themselves and, and to do otherwise is ugly and mean-spirited. What the Bible says is if you don't challenge people, you condemn them to living as fools. It's not good for our society. And that kind of uh, values and thinking comes from the pit of hell, not from heaven. Graham Douglas Leonard says this, A person should be free to obey his own conscience, but his conscience is always in need of correction. That's, that's well-balanced. We live in a... Uh, you think about a compass. Compass points north. What messes up a compass? Being near a magnet. And society is like a giant magnet trying to warp our religious and moral thinking. And so that's why we're told in Romans chapter 12, verse, one, uh, verse 2, to don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So be with God's people, hearing the, uh, the, the preaching of the word, read the Bible, and have your mind reoriented to the truth. Let me conclude with 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 to 26. So here's Paul the Apostle talking to uh, his protege, Pastor Timothy. Timothy, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. Hey, there are some religious beliefs that aren't even worth talking about, some religious debates uh, that are just so, they truly are inconsequential, avoid them. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them, who's the them? The, the opponents. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. And so the clear implication there is that uh, part of our redemptive role in society is to gently correct false religious beliefs. There are people who are caught up in the snare of the devil. They've been deceived. They hold false religious beliefs that are keeping them from God and from eternal life. And part of our role as Christians is to gently, right, with patience and with gentleness, correct. Correct the error. And hopefully, hopefully in the, in the gentle, patient correction, we will, uh, God might perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Not always, right? But if we go silent, there are a lot more people who are going to go to hell. That's the bottom line. I'm not advocating ugliness. I'm not advocating doing violence to people. Uh, I, but I am ad advocating not giving in to this uh, popular idea that to challenge people's religious beliefs is an ugly thing. It's not an ugly thing. Done correctly, it's a redemptive, loving act.
Let's pray. Lord, how will they hear unless there's a preacher? And it's not just the guy on stage Sunday morning. It's all of us who are, whose lives are animated by the gospel, talking to our neighbors, talking to our classmates, talking to our coworkers, talking to our friends, talking to our family. And Lord, we want your wisdom. We want to know what to say and when to say it and how to say it. And, and we will accompany our speech with prayers so that perhaps God may give them repentance so that they can be freed from the snare of the evil one, free from the deception, so they can embrace the truth and live forever and ever with us in your presence. We love you. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto your, our path. Apart from it, we'd be stumbling around. And so we thank you for the truth. We thank you for taking the time to reveal spiritual truth to us. May we honor it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.